I always remember in my head thinking that I'm better drunk than anxious. And that, that thought always stays with me. And as soon as I got kind of caught with that, it very soon became clear that that wasn't the answer. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage uh, podcast and YouTube. We're all over the place now. Um, finally, after many months of getting to know uh, Johnny, I've got Jonathan Johnny Ward, also known as the Anxious Fireman, which I love the stage name. I think I need one myself. Um, as the, 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 the clue is in the name, I think, a, a firefighter, but also with a mental health story, also a mental health first aider. So doing so much good in the world. Johnny, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Petra. Thanks for having me. I'm so really glad that we could. I'm so glad that we could arrange this after uh, chatting for a little while. So, give our listeners just a little bit of context. Who is Johnny, the anxious fireman? Uh, what do you do? What makes you passionate at the moment? Um, so, the anxious fireman, and thanks for the, the kind of stage name introduction. I guess I never really thought of it like that. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, and it's something that just kind of, um, you know, my story is one of starting from zero experience of mental ill health, knowledge, professionalism, anything like that. Yeah. Um, I, I can go into the story now or in a bit if you want, but uh, I basically started struggling with anxiety. So, you know, and I was a firefighter. So part of my managing that was I created a Twitter account and the Twitter account I named the anxious fireman and use a little red dog, uh, sorry, red fire engine with a black dog inside. Yeah. The black dog obviously being a symbol for mental health. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. Um, it started off really with me just tweeting about my experiences of mental health or my experience of anxiety, really, anxiety and panic. And then it led me to do other things. People kind of grabbed onto it and I grabbed onto it and I, I ended up on Radio 4 doing sort of uh, talks on there and, and being brought into companies. And from that, it developed on. I, I, I trained to be a psychotherapist as well. And, oh, right. Goodness. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so I do, I do three things. I firefight, I psychotherapy, and mental health first aid. So it's just kind I, of been one long... I love that. Mm-hmm. And it goes without saying that you're a man. Um, and there, there's something... Yesterday was um, Suicide Awareness Day and around male suicide, but also particularly in those sorts of environments. So, so I, I'm not sure what the statistics are for, for firefighters, but I know there can be post-traumatic stress. I know in, in construction and traditionally male-dominated environments, there's not, there's not enough voices of men being open and showing sort of another way of being, which means you can be masculine and be a firefighter and have anxiety, right? So I think there's something yeah. magical about what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, and I really hear that. And I think that was why it took off. I think that was, I mean, I'm not a business person. That's, that's the other thing I think people like about me is, and I'm still struggling with that whole journey, but um, my unique selling point is apparently it's, it's called is that, yeah, I'm a man and I'm, you know, I'm a standard looking man with a shaved head who's a firefighter and I kind of don't look like the stereotype of someone who may struggle with an anxiety problem. 
for example, or, or any other uh, kind of sort of problem or condition. But yeah, that kind of, I think that's what gave me that sort of story that people sort of uh, resonated with. And, and it was like a new uh, tale in the book of mental health that was being talked about. And, and I'm, I don't want to claim that I own that personally. You know, there's lots of people out there doing things, but I think I was part of that if you like part of that kind of small journey of men opening up and yeah regarding the fire service we, we do have uh, problems with mental illness mental Ill health post-traumatic stress as you talk about but a lot of things firefighters struggle with and um, a few years ago i helped set up the well-being team within manchester fire and rescue service uh, and what we found is one of the things that people do struggle with is, is actually more day-to-day -day life events sometimes it's not always the ptsd type stuff um, and that was kind of the sort of assumption we went in with when we set up this team that we sort of thought well, it's going to be all post-incident, difficult incidents, mm. deaths, um, trauma type incidents. And 90% of it wasn't. It was anxiety problems. It was low mood. It was debt problems, marriage breakdowns. It was all these sort of things that were just never really discussed as men. Um, they were kind of swept under the carpet, but they were causing people real kind of suffering. So, um we had a few suicides. I've lost a couple of friends to suicide in the fire service, mm. uh, which was, you know, part of the reason I went into mental health first aid and psychotherapy. Uh, forgive the pun, but I lost a very close friend to suicide, and that really lit a fire under me to sort of, you know, push forward to um, learn more about mental illness and mental health. So um, I, I kind of thank him every day for giving me that drive sometimes, and I think of him all the time. And uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff I do, I, I think of him whenever I'm doing it. So. That's, I mean, so sad, but also a beautiful way of turning adversity into your advantage, which is, you know, giving you a reason and a purpose to, to push forward on these difficult, vulnerable topics. So I imagine it wasn't always this way. You said that sort of lit the fire within you. You had to experience anxiety. I imagine you weren't always this like open, vulnerable man in the fire service. But before we even go there, like give our listeners a little bit of context to what it was like growing up. So did you grow up in an environment where it was okay to talk about emotions as a young boy or what was that context like when it came to mental health as a kid? Sure. No, I, I would say I grew up in, not, in a, not in an environment that was overly tough or anything along those lines, but um, it was certainly an environment where as a man, I would be expected to manage or I wouldn't even discuss if I was feeling anxious or sad and, you know, I, I did the classic male things. I was also an all boys school. So that probably added into that kind of context where no, those sort of things weren't discussed. If you couldn't come in on a school day or, a, or even go home and say, oh, I'm feeling nervous today or I'm feeling upset or I'm feeling low. Um, I played rugby and there was none of that within the rugby team. And I, I was in sort of the cadet forces and also very male mm. orientated places. And, and no, it wasn't. Do you know, it's not that it even, it's not that it wasn't even hidden. It was that it wasn't even part of the conversation. It wasn't even in the room um, talking about mental health. You can't not, even consider it. You can't even consider, consider it. Do I want to be open? Do I want to be like this yeah. guy? It's just like yeah. the norm is shut mm -hmm. up. Boys don't cry. Be tough. Yeah. You're playing rugby. You're in cadets. Mm -hmm. It's all this like man up type environment. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing that sort of really struck me when I started to learn about more about mental health and how important just being vulnerable is, that it wasn't even in the room. It wasn't even, well, don't talk about that because it makes you weak or soft, that it wasn't even there. It didn't exist. Well, well I want to question that because maybe not in that context, but maybe it's the subtle things, right? It's the subtle, like, let's joke about something, let's do the banter thing, let's joke about somebody outside of the room, or isn't it like the subtle messages that 
that are still yeah. kind of there about your what's expected of you, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I, a man, so I don't know. I've not been in the locker room, <laughs> as, as no, it were. I, I hear you. I hear that. Um, and I guess that kind of humor side of it, that, that dark humor, that sort of Mickey taking humor. Yeah. is definitely there. So, you know, stop being so soft. And I mean, I don't want to use any offensive language, but I, I, you can imagine um, what sort of things would be said in say a rugby locker room or a, even the fire station. Well, get, we're allowed to use all sorts of language here. So what kind okay, of stuff okay. might be said? Yeah, yeah, we can, you can swear. Um, what kind of stuff might be said as in a male locker room in that sense? <laughs> I guess, um, I guess it would be things along the line of, you know, certainly, you know, man yourself up, get over that, you know, stop being such a gay, you know, yeah. don't, don't be a pussy, don't be a pussy, don't be so soft, um, you know, get a fucking grip, you know, these yeah. sorts of things. And um, you're a fucking head case if you're not feeling well, you know, you, uh, I, it's funny, I was at a meeting just last night at the fire station and that word was used and then. You know, I challenged it straight away, but um, yeah, that, you know, those sort of things. I guess, I, you know, I take your point that, you know, maybe the conversation wasn't sort of deliberately around, you know, mental ill health or, or sort of where you are emotionally. But yes, I guess there's those subtle kind of barriers constantly being laid upon you. Um, From such you, a young age that yeah. you don't even realize that it's actually discriminating or not encouraging, like actually playing a part in a guy thinking... I can't yeah. talk about this. This isn't yeah. the room where I can go. I'm getting divorced or, you know, uh, I'm, ha you know, something's going on for me that has an emotional component, but maybe mm. you wouldn't even think that way mm. in that setting. You'd just be like, it's so internalized to man up. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's so such a part of your core. It's so who you are. It's almost like the driving force. Um, certainly from my experience of being a man is all about being able to cope and manage um, and get on with things and be strong and be there and be the person that's holding the, you know, the rest of the world up. And, um, you know, I, I never hide from it. I think that's one of the reasons I joined the fire service is that I wanted an image of being a masculine man deep down, you know, that's I so stayed out for different reasons, but yeah, I, I, I completely understand that when I was sort of early twenties looking for a career, you know, I didn't consider being an like a therapy like, like a therapist absolutely right. <laughs> yeah i wouldn't even wouldn't even have entered my my radar it had to be something you know where i would almost justify myself as a man yeah absolutely. yeah yeah and the firefighter is like almost the epitome of mm. like brave masculinity yeah. save the world um show no fear that sort of thing did yeah. you have siblings or what like what was your relationship like with your dad when it came to that trajectory for you yeah interesting my my dad is a chronic anxiety sufferer uh, which it, it adds into the sort of the story of, of my experiences with it. But again, growing up, it was he was unwell um, or he was poorly or there was something wrong with his stomach, you know, or he'd eaten something that didn't agree with him. And it was never anxiety, which looking back is what he struggled with every single day. Um, and I have no doubt again that that will have laid into sort of my groundwork of who I am and how I deal with situations going forward. And I don't blame him for that. That's just who he was. And, and uh, you know, I certainly know sort of animosity against him for that. But that's, it was never discussed. He never sat down and said, I'm really struggling with my mental health. I'm, I'm getting anxious all the time. Uh, he probably didn't anxious. have the language himself. Yeah. yeah. I think for men, that's one of the huge issues. And it's one of the things I push with, with the training courses that I own is language. A lot of men want to talk, but don't have the, almost the, like the language available to them to, to sort of do that. It's, we'll talk about what, I don't understand what it is I'm going to be talking about. You know, and, um, 
I think. And, yeah. and, and wrecking, maybe he didn't, I don't know, did he even recognize that it was anxiety, do you think? Because it's interesting that you, you talk about stomach and, you know, mm. food not agreeing with him, like our physical symptoms mm. are okay to talk about, but yes. not the like, oh, it's because I have so much anxiety because of whatever. Yeah. Um, no, never really. It, it was always the physical stuff. It was always there's something physically wrong with me. There was always, it was always that um, he felt unwell or, or, or those sort of things. No, the anxiety was very much, I think, I think subtly he, I, I think he knew, I, I think if I'm honest, like looking back, I think he knew, but it was just, where would he take that information? You know, where would he go with it? And what would he do with it? Cause he was another classic kind of man who wanted to be strong for his family and, and work and, uh, provide and all those sort of things and and um, I think he really struggled with the concepts of having a mental whether you call it disorder or whatever it may be um, I think he really struggled with that idea um, and, and you it, know that generation there there would have yeah. been less space just in around the pub or wherever he would have hung yeah. out with his yeah. so you get onto this male focused super brave macho trajectory I love your mug you can see the ancient <laughs> environment right there. Thing, there so <laughs> I love it so much um, and so you're on this trajectory now, did, did you have like looking back, did you have anxiety symptoms as a teenager or growing up or did it was, did something trigger it? Like, yeah, you did. I, I think going, when, when I really look back over my life and, and I didn't just jump into therapy, I had a lot of therapy before I even considered being a therapist and right. that's something you explore a lot of. And I think looking back, I'll give you an example. Um, when I was probably 14, 15, we used to, I had a couple of older friends who could drive and we used to get picked up by them and there'd be a couple of girls in the car and uh, that we knew and they were friends. And I would be terrified um, of being sick in front of them for some reason. Mm. So that kind of idea would spin itself uh, in my head and the second I would get in the car and sit there with them, I'd be so nervous and so self-conscious and so um, aware of those kind of feelings that I would eventually have to get the, to pull the car over and be sick. Um, just right, so I was physical about, symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd be thinking, I'm, I'm going to be sick. They're going to look at me, they're going to laugh at me, they're not going to see me as a man, I'm going to be sick. And because I was thinking of that, what I, what I used to do actually is get them to pull over at McDonald's and I'd buy them some food while I nipped off to the loo and be sick. And I used wow. to do that continuously. Um, and that's just, that's just one example of where at the time I just thought it was nerves, but actually I think whilst anxiety and nerves are obviously on the similar lines, it wasn't, it was much more cognitive. It was a cognitive driven kind of process in me that was, I'm not good enough. I'm going to be self-conscious and no self-worth. They're not going to like me unless I present an image. And because I was failing to do that, it almost, I almost self-fulfilled the prophecy, if you like. Um, but yeah, I think anxiety has been something that's been a part of my life, uh, most of my life. Um, where it started to become an issue, and I can I can go into that more deeply if you wish. But where that where that sort of started to become an issue um, about sort of six years ago, I I lay in bed one night and um, lay down, felt okay, but then my heart sort of went bang 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 bang, uh, full on palpitations, and like most men, I shit myself, uh, but did absolutely nothing about it. Um, Not so even I, go to the doctor to no, think no, it no, maybe no. the heart thing. Yeah, and that and no, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and that happened, and it kept happening again and again and again. Did something trigger it? Because by now you're a firefighter. Did did something? Yeah. yeah, let's go there. I I think what triggered that is I was doing quite a lot within the service. So I was a firefighter. I was working for an overseas aid charity at the time called Operation Florian, um, where we'd go out to uh, it was Macedonia at the time and deliver fire equipment and training. 
I was doing something called the road traffic collision team. So I was sort of training extra um, road traffic collision competing sort of nationally and internationally. I was buying a house. Um, I was... It was a stressful time. It was just a stressful time, you know, go with that. But I think there was a lot of other stuff kind of underpinning me. I think this anxiety that kind of carried with me for a while was had enough of being boxed away and it was starting to come out, if you like, so that carried with me um, for a long time. And again, so these palpitations started happening. Um, I ignored them, but they carried on happening. And then they started happening in the day. And then they started happening at work. And then they started happening when I go to the gym. And whatever I did, just constantly, I was just constantly having these feelings of sort of palpitations, feeling dizzy, feeling sick. Um, and I was convinced they were physical. So I went, well, I wouldn't even consider the mental aspects of it. So I, I went to the GP 15 times. I went to the A&E 30 times, sat in A&E and was told what again and again and again. What were they saying? You're fine. You're fine. Absolutely fine. You're healthy. I don't see any physical like explanation for what's going on. Absolutely nothing. Until eventually I went to see a GP that happened to sort of read through my notes and noticed I'd be coming again and again and again. And I still remember it. He, he walked over to me with his pen and sort of went, it's in here, Johnny. And that moment was really, really powerful for me because I kind of was forced to accept that it was. Um, and I broke down and I cried and uh, was really kind of taken back. But yeah, it is. That is exactly where it is. And I almost knew it, but didn't want to admit it. acknowledge that I knew it, if that makes sort of sense. So you, so you break down in the GP's mm. office. In the car park, actually, if that, if that Oh, happens. after. Don't worry, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but that's an interesting detail because it's like still not trying to show that weakness in front of someone, but like it, it hits you and you like fall apart by yourself. Yeah. Can I just ask if you, I don't know if you were in a relationship at the time. Yes, or, I was with my now wife. Okay. Now, was she aware? Because sometimes guys say the only person that knows or, you know, can see something is their wife or their significant other, or mm. that's the only person they might have an emotional conversation with. Was she aware? She was aware that I was struggling with something. Um, and I think she was probably more astute to what, what it was, uh, that it was sort of this anxiety problem uh, that I was struggling with. But um, she was very supportive, but still struggled with the fact that I was having things like mood swings and I was hiding it from her and I was um, not myself and, and, I, and I was maybe not as, I was being snappy and a bit, um, I'm, never, I'm never aggressive, but, you know, bad tempered and, and all these sort of things. Yeah. I think that was definitely, it was, it was putting a strain in our relationship without doubt. Um, I would remember a few years later, we spoke about it and she did say, yeah, I did wonder whether it'd be worth giving you some space. And, you know, we were dating at the time, we weren't together, so giving you some space to sort of um, kind of get yourself together. But um, uh, I'm glad you didn't because I, I needed her. Without yeah. Help. Yeah. yeah. But it's just uh, showing the level of internal conflict, frustration, uh, um, maybe fear, not knowing what's going on. And, yeah. and you said that some of this started showing up in the workplace as well. Mm. And what, like, what, what was happening there? So what happened is, is I recognized these, what, what they were was panic attacks. I mean, that's what ultimately they were. Yeah, and for me, one of the one of the problems with getting a, a diagnosis, if that if that kind of makes sense, mm -hmm. is it gives it a label, it gives it a title, and that title then became something that I kind of grabbed onto. If I'm honest, um, I didn't really realize I did it at the time, but I became in my head somebody who had panic attacks. If that makes sense, um, so for me, with the, getting a diagnosis, and I know for some people it can be very useful. But for me, it gave me like a label. It gave me a stigma, almost stigmatizing myself. So what I did was become afraid of having panic attacks. 
So you know when I spoke about before, afraid of being sick yeah, yeah, in the yeah. car with all the girls You're and all that waiting stuff. for them to happen. Yeah. So now I'm anxious about being anxious, which is classic panic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what I became or what I started to do is every time I'd go to work, the second I'd pull onto the station yard, I'd start thinking to myself, please don't have a panic attack. Don't have a panic attack. You're going to look stupid if you have a panic attack. Everyone's going to laugh at you from a panic attack. And your brain is just thinking, panic attack, panic attack, panic attack, right? The best way I can describe it is having a CD player turned on your head you have no control over. And it's just, Uh you're going to have one. You're going to have a panic attack. You're starting to feel anxious. Your legs just felt a bit funny. That's the anxiety. Your heart's just skipped a beat. That's the anxiety. And the sort of the physical takes over the mental and the mental boosts in the physical and you end up having a panic attack because you are thinking about not having a panic Like It's a bit like if you've been on a long, a long bus journey and you think, please, God, don't need a piss because I'll have to stop a bus. <laughs> and then you start going, oh, please don't, please don't, please I don't. Got this. I, got I this. need one. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. Water. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, stop thinking um, about it. Oh, it's going to get worse. Yeah. Same premise, just with anxiety. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. So what, what started happening is I, was, I started having these sort of, anxiety high high anxiety and sometimes panic attacks at work um and i i was always kind of okay at keeping it internal but internal like a duck i was sort of my legs were doing this but my body seemed still um and i would have them when i was treating casualties in upside down cars i would have them when i always remember having one in the loft space we were trying to get someone who had a heart attack out of the loft space Um, and i'm there leading the rescue whilst having a panic attack ultimately but sort of still trying to remain calm um, I, I, you know, externally, and wherever I'd be in a situation where a panic attack would be very socially awkward, really, it would kick in those thought processes, and I start getting anxious. So, um, going to a fire, what if I have a panic attack when uh, we're inside the fire? What if we have one when we're um, rescuing somebody from a water or stream? Or yeah, this is this is where it becomes a bit almost dangerous in the sense where you're not just going yeah. to an office job, and yeah. and I want people to highlight to, to to understand and really hear that what's going on on the outside mm. is not what's going on on the inside. So you probably yeah. still most of the time look as professional as possible or showing yeah. up to do your work. But on the yeah. inside, you're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, is this going to... an absolute mess. You were yeah. a mess. Oh, and an so absolute mess. Yeah. You're an absolute mess. Now you go to the GP. Let's go back to that bit. And so he goes, it's in your head. You go to the car park and you fall apart. And you're just mm. like, fucking hell, what do I do with this? Right? <laughs> yeah. See, it's okay, I swear. Um, and then you perpetuate this thing because you go, I now have panic attacks or I have anxiety disorder. And so it's showing up worse. Now, what mm. was the catalyst point that made you go, I need to do something? I don't know. Did you start to, like, what helped? Like, how did you move into the next stage? I got caught drinking at work. So I, um, one of the ways I managed the anxiety was to drink. So um, I started drinking quite a lot and quite often, even at work or on the way to work or when I get to work, I would manage your nerves. Yeah, it made me feel better. You know, unfortunately, the reason drink is often used is because it works um, yeah. in the short term, you know, yes. and, and it managed my symptoms. So I would drink. Uh, and eventually, one of, the, one, of my, one of the pals on the watch caught me and, and that kind of was a catalyst and and the funny I always remember in my head thinking that I'm better drunk than anxious and that, that thought always stays with me and as soon as I got kind of caught with that it very soon became clear that that wasn't the answer <laughs> if you like that this wasn't a sustainable kind of kind of model if you like um and, and it was that that made me really want to 
get control of it and gain control back over it, uh, back over my life, I think. Because, I mean, I, at this point as well, I, I, I mean, I'd become almost agoraphobic. Like, I'd, I barely left the house except for the work. You know, I stopped going to the gym. I stopped going and seeing friends. I stopped socializing because everything just became about anxiety. My whole world was about anxiety. And of course, not doing those things just makes it worse, right? It just adds into, the, adds into everything. It, yeah. right? it kills your social connections. It kills yeah. your fun. It kills your joy. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and so that becomes your life. So, so you're completely isolated. What were the steps that helped you begin to change things? Like what was the, cause you're obviously on this road where you're super open and you're, you're, you're um, supporting and training people in so many different ways. What were the first steps through that, from that total rock bottom place? Sure. Um, you know, the Twitter account was the start. And so you're at home, still agoraphobic, still like, oh, uh, and you just start posting stuff online. Yeah, I just I put on a couple of posts about how I was feeling, and it just got a much better reaction than I kind of thought it would. And and from that, what I quickly learned was that the only way through this was to be emotionally genuine. Um, what I realized I've been doing for years, and what I what I sort of realized, I mean, what I that GP recommended therapy. I had CBT fairly quickly and that, that that was quite a big turning point when I realized that my thoughts were causing my feelings um, and that was a, that was a big thing for me but the, the best and biggest thing that I, I did was start that Twitter account because what I did is start being open about it and the second I got decent reactions it sort of grew my confidence um, it was a slow process it wasn't always positive but yeah as soon as people started going feel you mate you know it's okay and, and I always remember once someone put thanks so much for talking about this you know wouldn't expect a man to and I just sort of thought yeah, why not? You know, am, am I am I different? Am I sort of useless? Am I no good? No, you know, I, I, I feel that I'm a worthy human being that deserves that kind of acceptance as well. And um, this has happened to me and kind of through no sort of fault of my own, if you like. I, and uh, I guess I want to support with it. So it was just about being emotionally genuine. And I just sort of got into this mindset of just going, well, you know what? Balls to everyone else. I'm going to be honest about this. Um, and that's what I did. So I started tweeting about it. More and more people found it that I knew because uh, I wasn't I wasn't sort of sharing it with my close friends. I was kind of on a on on, on the global scale, but on the sort of social my social level. My friends feel safer, right? Yeah, absolutely, because yeah. they're they're anonymous, aren't they? But um, as soon as people started to pick up to it, I started being honest with people. And the second I'm honest, the second I told someone and said, "Pub guys, you know, I, I'm struggling with this anxiety," it went. And then you know that was its power. That's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so literally the act of openness and authenticity reduces the symptoms. Absolutely. It's when you have the symptom plus the shame, plus the, I'm a bad person, plus all that other stuff that you just obsess. Right. And it just gets worse. Absolutely. And that's something I, I, I really try and sell now through either talks or whenever do, you know, my training courses is that vulnerability is the key to this. If you can be vulnerable and okay with that, that's where, you know, the condition loses its power or the condition or the, the mindset loses its power. Yeah. It only has power because you're afraid of it and you fear judgment. The second you remove anyone's ability to judge you, anxiety doesn't have any power over you anymore. It might still be there, stick it over in the background, but you've lost the power. Such uh, a powerful lesson. But in a way, you're leading to a double life. I, I, like, I don't mean that in a critical way. Yeah, I, like you're, so you're, try, you're learning how to express yourself mm-hmm. on this social media environment. But equally, I don't know if you were signed off work or you, you know, you've been, you've been caught drinking and like, you've got to now align this. So be becoming open in your immediate life as well. Like 
How does that transition happen? Slowly, I imagine, but what happens? You know, kind of, in, in a way, it, it all just sort of fell into place in a very strange way. So um, once I started being open about um, my mental health on the internet, the, some people from the Fire Brigade sort of saw my Twitter account. Okay. Uh, and then sort of just by coincidence, I, I fell over walking up in the, in the hills. I injured my ankle. Yeah. So I, ne- I never got signed off work through anxiety. I wish with hindsight I had. I think I could have done with a bit of time just to get myself together, but I was so proud that I refused to almost acknowledge yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So I switched to my ankle. I needed to do about six months off the engines um, on what we call light duties. Um, and it just coincided with when they wanted to set up this health and well-being team. So purely through coincidence, they said, well, you need to do a nine-to-five job that isn't on the fire engines. Uh, we need someone who has some experience and wants to help out this team. Why don't you come up and do that? So it, purely through kind of coincidence, that happened. Um, so I went up to headquarters, started to be honest and open in, in the service about what was going on with me. I did things like blogs like this, uh, I did emails talking about my experiences. Um, we set up lots of different sort of um, programs within the service and changed some policies. And yeah, and that's, that's where it really all kind of started to take in within the fire service. So, Do you, do you remember if you were scared before you did your first ever talk? Like, do you remember? Yeah. The first, yeah what was that like? It, <laughs> By this point, I'd also lost a good friend to suicide within the fire service. Uh, and that happened as I was going through the anxiety. And um, yeah, I was scared. I was scared of what people would think. I was scared would I be able to show my face on station again? How would this be taken? Um, is this the end of my career, basically? Am I going to find something else after this? Um, but, That's a pretty big, like, catastrophic yeah. thought that you're still Absolutely. showing up. I was catastrophizing the, the hell end out of, of my career. <laughs> yeah. And the end, and, and, and for me as well, I was thinking the end of therefore paying my mortgage and then, you know, sure, yeah. girlfriend who wants, you know, I, I figured wanted me to be a provider and then what about, you know, having no kids and all these things that I wanted were, were wrapped up in, in this anxiety holding on to it, you know, yeah. and he had the power and it started. But losing my friend, uh, very close friend to suicide, made me less afraid um, of doing that, you know, and I don't want to sound crass and I don't want to sound kind of, um, you know, kind of cheesy with that, but it really did. I just thought, you know what? Things can get really shit. Um, and he's been to that place and I don't want to get there. And I don't want to see this happen to anybody else um, or anybody else's family. And, and that really was more powerful than the fear. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it's an acknowledgement that there's some things more important than fear, isn't there? Uh, going and, on in the world. and then it's not just about you anymore. No, no. It's actually, you're like, I'm doing this as a service to my, my, my friend's memory, but also because you see that masculinity means that people aren't talking. What if it happens to someone else? So you kind yeah. of get this passion and purpose yeah. uh, driving you forward. Uh, exactly right. Exactly right. And that's, that's, that's really was what it was. It was this sort of passion to sort of destigmatize mental health within our, within our fire service. That was, that was kind of my every waking thought. And it, was, it changed that thought from... I suffer with anxiety, so how can I change people's perception of mental illness, mental health, emotional strife, whatever you want to call it. And of course, one thing leads to another and you get onto sort of bigger stages and you develop a training program and all that sort of thing. Um, Does anxiety still play a part in your life? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Much, much smaller. It's it's not the beast it was, but um, yeah, absolutely. I've... I'm just coming off um, the antidepressants I was put on 
for the second time. So I had, when I told you I was crying in the doctor's uh, yeah, yeah, back, yeah. I had a handful of sertraline at the time with me, and um, you know I was I was quite afraid of taking that, but that really helped. And I'm not here to push or pedal any kind of medication, but for me it really helped. Uh, I came off that a few years ago. Needed to go back on because I wasn't really fully recovered, if you like. Went back on to a different antidepressant, and I'm just coming off it now. I think I probably just about tailored off the last little bit, um, and I can just feel little thoughts coming back into my head. I'm, you know, for example, I'm at work tonight. I can just feel anxiety. What about anxiety? And it's almost like that little voice has just got a little louder. Um, but now I can acknowledge it, and I can acknowledge it for what it is. I'm not afraid of it anymore, and that's that's the most powerful thing. Not being afraid of that little sort of anxious voice anymore. Because uh, you know what it is. You know what you're yeah, dealing exactly. with. So Absolutely. what are the ways that you, like on a good day, that you, besides the medication, need to do or, or, I don't know, the tools that you have to sort of manage the anxiety? Um, my biggest and best tool is acknowledging it for what it is. So I know breathing techniques and you can do grounding techniques. For all that, I think all that stuff, that's great. For me, I challenge the anxiety to go for it. So I will say to, you know, if I hear that little voice, I'll say, all right, go for it. You crack on anxiety, do your worst. Bring it on. Bring it on. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, it does nothing. So I think where in the past, yeah, where in the past I would kind of fight it and hold it and and sort of try and try and right, you go away. I don't want you. Now I go, go for it. If you're going to give me, you know, give me a panic attack, uh, panic attack, or you're going to feel really anxious, you crack on. And nine times out of 10, that's 9.9 times out of 10. It just sort of almost like a bully shuts up. Um, did you did you learn that through C? Mm, is that quite kind of CBT? It sounds like a very personal uh, Johnny version of like <laughs> firefighter version of like. Yeah, bring it, on, it, you know, that, that's kind of the irony, isn't it? I've kind of dealt with it in a, in a kind of macho way, and is that yeah. like, you know, um, you know I, I mean, it works for me, but is that the right way to do it? You know, should I be more kind to myself? I don't know, but. Um, no, I, I learned that, I think, through therapy. I, I had a lot of therapy. I had a different therapy from CBT to, to person-centered therapy. Um, and one of my therapists kind of advised, you know, said, try this as a method. And, and for me, it really worked, you know. So I, I like it. claim ownership of that. But um, yeah. It yeah, it's, uh, it's almost because it. it's just a thought. So you're just like, bring on the thought. Even a panic attack, I can survive that. I can get through it in some way. Um, now I'm curious through this entire journey and being open and the Twitter and like training and, and you know, you're known as the anxious firefighter now, have you circled back and had a conversation with your dad about that, the, the kind of similar themes going on and the generational difference? That is a difficult question. Um, we have a good relationship, but n- not necessarily a deep relationship. Um, and I think we've, we, we've sat down with each other a couple of times and spoke about anxiety broadly uh, yeah. and, and sort of, you know, cause it was, it was, I was honest about myself struggling with it and, and he, he wanted to help, but I, I, there's always this kind of barrier with us that sort of, uh, keeps it from getting anything other than surface level in a way, which, which is sad in a way, cause I, I know he would want to sort of really, yeah, he finds it difficult to sort of be completely open and honest about it. And I guess I find it difficult being completely open and honest to him. Um, if I'm honest, you know, I find I, it. Yeah. 
But I find it hard. Uh, we, we both find it hard. And I think we both acknowledge that we find it hard in our own subtle ways. You know, we haven't sat there and said, we find this hard. But just from the look, just from a glance, just from an awkward feeling in a room, we know it's there, but we don't, we don't go deeper than how's your anxiety doing? It's okay, you know, I'm managing it at the moment. Okay. But, but that feels like there's still like a naming of it, which mm. is um, interesting and acknowledgement. Yeah, def definitely named, yeah. Mm, it's interesting, uh, just the parental, the generation of, you know, what's okay and what isn't okay and how we have to try and meet in the middle with, mm. a, with a conversation to stay, to stay connected. Um, before I ask my final question, where can people find you? How can they connect with you and your training and all the stuff that you do? Sure. So, I mean, um, I have a website, which is theanxiousfireman.com, I think. <laughs> if you type that in, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll come up or I'm on LinkedIn as the Anxious Fireman Mental Health Trainer. You're the Anxious um, Fireman everywhere, aren't you? Uh, yeah, and, I've, and the little, red, the little uh, red fire engine with the black dogs kind of become my, uh, become my sort of stage presence, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I offer mental health first aid um, and I do psychotherapy on a Monday at a, at a charity in, uh, in Manchester here, so... Yeah, and I love it. Like, if people want uh, your story and your talk, like, uh, find Johnny. We'll get the uh, the yeah, website address into the show notes, so we make sure we've got the right one. Uh, so, so connect with Johnny because he's amazing, and he does some work with me as well, which is uh, fabulous. <laughs> we love having you uh, on our website and uh, pushing work your way. Um, finally. What advice would you give to your younger self or the kid who is struggling? I mean, you struggled in silence for a shitload long time, right? Before mm -hmm. you actually felt it was bad enough to go to your doctor to think about something other than the physical symptom. Now there is, luckily, there's more information out there right now. There is, yeah. Like, what, would you, what advice would you give to your younger self or, or a kid who is struggling in the similar way that you were? Which is a... A hell of a question, isn't it? I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, do not be afraid of being emotionally genuine. Real strength, real bravery is allowing yourself to be vulnerable and not being afraid of that. Um, the way to manage or battle or pass through, whatever you want to call the kind of uh, battle with mental illness, mental health, is to develop connection with people. So where, where mental health has no power is when you have deep connection with people. If you have deep connection with people where you feel you're not going to be judged and you can be vulnerable, anxiety, for example, or other conditions have no power. They can be managed within themselves. The real killer is when you try and hold on to them and shy away from them. What you need to do to battle that is build deep connection with people. And the way you do that is allow yourself to be vulnerable. And I can assure you as a man who's in, you know, of the fire service and all these things, I've had nothing but positive responses from other firefighters. Um, I've had people pull me to one side and say, thanks, mate. If you hadn't done that, I'd never sought help. Or people come to me and say, if you hadn't have opened up, I don't think I'd have ever gone and got some support. Um, and it, it's not about me, but men want to open up. What we have is a block and a social barrier. And the second you break that down, you'll find that we're just as vulnerable and just as frightened and just as scared as anybody else, you know, and we want that connection. We just get taught that we're not allowed to have it from an early age. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, Johnny, that's so profound. I just, I don't even need to say anything, um, but, but seek help. It's okay to be vulnerable. And I agree with that for women from a women's perspective as well is we isolate when we feel shame about what we're experiencing or we're scared of it. 
but actually that openness, that vulnerability, it, it just reduces the, the, the power, the strength, the fear of whatever it is we're facing. So talk, and we live thankfully in a generation where that's becoming more normalized. Good luck with everything that you're doing and thank you so much for your time, Johnny. Thank you, Petra, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.